Hebrews 1, 1 4. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high, having become as superior to angels as the name he has inherited and more excellent than theirs, the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. <clears throat> The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear friends, this is the night when God came among us, when the uncreated one united himself to creation in order that creations like us could know God. And that is a beautiful mystery. It is a beautiful story. And I invite you to uh, give consent and joy and thanksgiving to that story as we proclaim the Nicene Creed on page 10, saying together, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. 
For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray together as we stand. Almighty Father, you have made yourself known in Jesus Christ. Make yourself known now. Make yourself known in the way each of us needs you to make yourself known. Whatever the obstacles are to seeing you, trusting you, receiving you, uh, grant that you might overcome those obstacles. You know the way. Make it plain. Make yourself plain. Make Jesus plain. And do all of that by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And uh, it's helpful. Uh, first of all, everybody, Merry Christmas. It's after dark on Christmas Eve, so we're just going for it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, if you would, turn back to page 7 and page 8. Uh, both those readings, those are readings from the New Testament. We're going to be uh, considering them just a little bit. Um, and here's what I want to show you tonight. Christmas uh, Christmas means many, many things. It's one of the reasons why for 2,000 years we're still celebrating it, still delving into its depths, and we haven't exhausted it yet, its full meaning. But here's what I want to show you today, tonight. Uh, Christmas is like a Copernican revolution. Christmas takes something that is a kind of pursuit of every single human in one way or the other, takes that pursuit, that story that we expect to play out in our lives and takes that pursuit and that story and just turns it on its head. And it's the story, it's the pursuit of trying to find meaning in this life. Let me explain what I mean and then we'll come to Christmas and how it relates. Um, there's a, a thinker, an Israeli uh, public intellectual called Yu, uh, Yuval Harari. Uh, and he's a historian, he's a philosopher, uh, he's a public commentator. Uh, he's deeply uh, uh, atheist, uh, and he, he's an insightful observer of modern life. And he writes this. On a practical level, modern life consists of a constant pursuit of power within a universe devoid of meaning. Modern culture is the most powerful in all of history, it is ceaselessly researching, inventing, discovering, growing. At the same time, it is plagued by more existential angst than any other previous culture. And then just before he said that, he writes this. Omnipotence and power is right in front of us, almost within our reach through technology and so forth. But below us yawns the abyss of a complete nothingness. 
You see what is he's saying there? He's saying uh, humanity through technology and all of our accomplishments, education, all of those sorts of things, art, any number of other things, we have all kinds of power, remarkable power, more power than any uh, human culture has ever had in its past. And yet, for all of that power, uh, there's a deep confusion in human life. There's a deep confusion about whether or not we live in a meaningful universe and whether or not we can pursue meaningful lives or whether or not beneath us is, as he describes it, the void or the abyss of nothingness, the, the void of meaninglessness. And that brings up one of the key questions. Do we live in a meaningful universe or do we not? Um, now, my guess is that most of us are rarely put it in just that way. But I think for a lot of us, there are moments when even if we don't phrase it that way, um, there's times where our experience kind of begs that question, the question of do we live in a meaningful universe or not? Uh, one of my favorite places in New York City is uh, Central Park. Um, I'm not alone in that. But one of the things that I love to do is, uh, after the sun goes down, walk through Central Park, especially on a winter night when it's snowing. It's just one of my favorite things. One of the reasons is that it's quiet. And quiet in New York City is like transcendence. I mean, it's just the best, right? And you walk through and it's beautiful and it's the beauty of nature is all around you. And there's times where I've been there and it's all, it's, it's serene and it's beautiful. And there's a way in which that beauty sort of weighs on my soul with joy. And in those moments when the natural beauty just, just, uh, weighs upon me in a good way. There's times where it's as if the beauty whispers to my soul. Can you identify? There must be something meaningful in this world. And yet, even when those times happen, the spell breaks almost immediately. Because at some point you've got to leave Central Park and you can't live in a city like ours without seeing the tragedy, the brokenness of this world almost immediately. And it's almost as if the experience of beauty and brokenness that we experience in this city is, is a little bit of an image of the dilemma of the human life. We live lives where we are in touch with beauty, and sometimes that beauty in all its many varieties, it, it, it suggests meaning. Otherwise, why could we perceive it? And yet, on the other hand, we experience brokenness. And that brokenness, when we come up against it and when it slaps us in the face, there's times where we wonder if it's all a joke and we look beneath us and we see the void of meaninglessness. And a lot of us, we, we experience something of that tension. And even if we don't recognize it, we try to fill the void with activity with just an enormous amount of exertion of energy in pursuing meaning through things we do, through family, good things, family, through, you know, career, uh, through spirituality, maybe, maybe religion. If I do my family right, I'll find my purpose. If I do my career right, I'll find significance. If I do spirituality or religion right, I'll find the serenity that I seek. And yet the trouble is that once again, we, we pursue these things. We fill the void with our activity, good activity. And at times we see great beauty in our family and in our career and in spirituality or whatever. But we also get slapped in the face by the brokenness. And we cannot avoid the question, 
there's whispers of meaning, and yet there's the void that's always threatening. What do we do? Now, what does any of this have to do with Christmas? And good question. To which I respond, everything. Consider the shepherds in that second story on page eight. Now, the shepherds, uh, the shepherds are, they don't think, they didn't wake up that, that day thinking, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and try to find meaning in my life. Um, they're, they're not at church, they're at work. In fact, um, they're working the night shift, and, uh, and they've got a security gig. They're protecting sheep. And they're not looking for anything in that moment. They're not on a grand quest for the, for the meaning of life. However, what they find is that despite the fact that they're not going out on a great quest seeking meaning, they find, to their surprise, that meaning comes seeking them. Look at line 10, verse 10. Uh, they're minding their own business, and all of a sudden they see an angel. And they're just as surprised at the angel as you and I would be surprised. But what's important is this. Look at the message of the angel. The angel uh, is not saying, hey, let me give you some directions so that you can uh, pursue your quest for meaning to fill the void with uh, greater efficiency. The angel does not come uh, with a kind of new methodology or a new spiritual practice that'll kind of unlock their hidden potential so that they can do life right and fill the void of meaning. That's not what the angel does. The angel comes with news, news about somebody else. The angel comes with news about a child, about a child that has been born to them, a child, verse 11, that is a savior. Now, no one goes on a quest trying to find a savior. A savior goes on a quest to find you. And that is the Copernican revolution of Christmas. We have a tendency to look at our world and say, is there any meaning in this world or am I just hanging above the void? And if there is any meaning in this world, then it's got to be up to me to go on the quest to discover it. But Christmas is the night when that story takes an unexpected turn. Christmas is the night where we find out that meaning is not something that we go out and find. Rather, meaning is a person. Meaning is a person who has already come to find us. Let me try to explain this just a little bit more and turn over to the first reading, the short one, on page 7. Uh, this is an excerpt from the very beginning of a book called uh, the Book of Hebrews. It's written by a Jewish Christian. And uh, this author is describing Jesus and the meaning of Jesus' arrival or his birth. And he makes a very audacious claim. If you look at line 3, verse 3, it says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, most human cultures have kind of speculated that if there's any meaning to this world, then it probably has something to do with some sort of God figure. Uh, most spiritualities, most religions um, are in some, one way or another part of that quest, that quest to find God or to find meaning. And it's phrased differently. 
Sometimes uh, we, we, try to, we go on a quest to find God or meaning within ourselves. There's other spiritualities where you try to find God or meaning within nature. Or there's other spiritualities where you find God or meaning within a temple. And if you do everything right in just the right way, then you might find meaning or, or God or whatever else. But the trouble is, once again, that it's a quest that we cannot really complete. The human quest for meaning or for God, it's like trying to navigate through a mist. Can you identify with this? Can you navigate through a mist and you just can't find your way. Or it's as if a meaning or God is hiding behind a veil. It's like there's something in us that makes us seek after him to try to find out what God or meaning might be, and yet it's always hidden. It's always behind a veil. And when we uh, find this drive to ask the question, but it's a question that we never find answered, we wonder whether or not it's all a joke and all a fantasy and whether we're hanging over the void of meaninglessness. But Christmas is the night where we find out that you and I, we cannot navigate through the mist. And you and I, we cannot cut through the veil. But there is a God who can. And there is a God who did. There is a God who navigated through the mist towards us. There is a God who sliced through the veil for us. And he entered this world and he became human in the person of Jesus Christ. And because he's human, he is now for the first time knowable. We can't find God. And so, God in Jesus Christ came looking for us. And we cannot find meaning. So meaning became incarnate in Jesus to find us. Kind of think of it this way. Imagine you go to a play. You go to a play, and you have a great time. And you're moved by the play. Um, and, and, you know, you laugh, you cry. But there's something really compelling about it. And, and you find yourself, as the play ends, say, saying, oh, wow, what an enigma. I wish I could speak to the playwright. I have so many questions. And then, all of a sudden, beside you, somebody introduces herself to you. And, and you, you, you look over, and, and, and she's the, the one that, that wrote the play. And all of a sudden, you begin to talk. And you talk for a couple hours, and you become friends. Now, that new friendship would change your whole experience of that play. It would add a whole new dimension to it. That new friendship would kind of backfill your experience of that play with a new kind of meaning. And that's a bit what happens when God enters our world through Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. He is God in person. So that when you come to know Jesus, you are seeing God in pristine clarity and you're seeing the one who created the entirety of the universe. And that relationship with Jesus then backfills this whole world with a new kind of meaning. All of a sudden, the beauty that has up to this point compelled you and allured you to ask big questions, that beauty now becomes art. You, mean, you now begin to see that this beauty is not random. It's the expression of a glorious artist. And it's, you realize that the beauty of this world is art that is designed to awaken desire within you to meet the artist. And that that artist has met you and come towards you at Christmas.
But of course, as I say that, even as I say that, it brings up a question. Maybe you anticipate the question. The question is, if Jesus is somehow behind the beauty that compels us, what about the brokenness? Doesn't he have something to answer for? And if that's the question that comes up for you, look at Hebrews and look at the very first verse. Do you see the word prophets? It says, God has spoken in many ways through the prophets. Now, those are the prophets from what we call uh, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. And you can go read them. There's a lot of them. And if you read those prophets, you will, here's what you'll discover. You will never find a sharper diagnosis of the world's brokenness than you will when you read those prophets. It's as if those prophets, they're like doctors. And they're doctors who diagnose a profound illness within all of us, within humanity. And it's the illness that they call sin. In one way, it's like a disease because it's congenital, and it comes to every one of us irrespective of whether or not we think we have it. But in another way, it's not like a disease because sin is not simply something we suffer, it is that, but it's also something we inflict. And you can watch how we suffer sin and inflict sin when you think about family or your job or even religion and spirituality, and sometimes especially religion and spirituality. When you look at family and its tensions and its brokenness and your industry and its brokenness and your work, and when you look at the church and religion and spirituality, you won't take long to see the brokenness in it. And if you look closely, especially when you're listening to the prophets, they'll help you see that this, the illness and the brokenness of this world is something that is done to us, and it's something that we do to others. And the prophets tell us that we need a cure that can only come from God. And therefore, at Christmas, we find that Jesus not only reveals the beauty of God, but Jesus reveals God's beauty by healing the brokenness and the illness and the disease of sin. And that's what verse 3 is all about in Hebrews. Jesus made purification for sin. And that's a reference to his death. When Jesus died, the, the, the effects of our spiritual illness came upon him, and our guilt came upon him, and he died. But then he rose again, and he died to heal our sin, and he rose to impart his beauty. And all of that takes us back to tonight. Yuval Harari says that we have a lot of power. We all know this. We have a lot of power. And yet, for all of that, we hang above a kind of meaningless void, or at least there's a question there. And friends, this is the night when Jesus came to us with all of his power, and he filled the void of meaninglessness beneath us, and he gave us a whole new foundation. The meaning of our life is to know the God who came among us at Christmas. The meaning of our life is to meet the one who heals the brokenness that we see and the brokenness we inflict. The meaning of life is for us to be animated with, the, with Jesus Christ, who is the one who animates all the beauty around us. And the question is, will we consent to be found by the meaning of the world that's already seeking us now? And so tonight, hear the message of the angels. 
the angels came to the shepherds and says, they said, I bring you great tidings of joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is the radiance of the invisible God. He is the beauty of the world. He heals the brokenness of this world. He's the healer of your soul, and he's the meaning of life. So consent to be found by him and adore him. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.